It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Like many of you, I'm a lifelong aquarium hobbyist, and I had my first aquarium, I don't know, before kindergarten. It was almost destiny that I was meant to be a fish geek. One of my earliest memories was a 30-gallon display tank that my dad had in our living room, which showed off some of the fancy blue delta tail guppies that he was breeding. He was a serious guppy breeder. And growing up around that stuff was just so cool. I got to help hatch brine shrimp eggs at like age four, clean filters at age five. Well, you get it, the usual stuff. Baby fishes and the excitement that comes along with them were just part of my upbringing, I suppose. I had my first non-live bearing fish spawning, which was zebra danios, when I was like seven or eight years old. It was super exciting, even though I never reared more than five or six fishes from any of the spawns that occurred. My first semi-deliberate attempt at spawning egg layers came around age 10 or 11. It was harlequin resborus, a fish that I was obsessed with for a very long time. It seemed a lot more complicated and, to me, just somehow less enjoyable than the more spontaneous spawning events that I'd enjoyed in my community tanks in the years past. I think I dabbled with my first attempt at a blackwater aquarium at around 13 years of age. It was absurdly non-scientific and highly casual by today's standards, yet it opened up a lifelong interest in the idea of botanical materials added to aquariums. I gathered a bunch of random leaves from the yard and tossed them in my five-gallon aquarium, added some Eheim long fiber filter peat, remember that stuff? And uh, miraculously, none of my fishes died, and I actually saw my neon tetras, yes, my neon tetras lay eggs a few months later, and little sliver-like fry appeared one day. Likely a coincidence, but it got my attention, and it started me thinking, of course. I can't forget the aesthetic of seeing crystal clear water and tons of my favorite all-time plant, water sprite, in my dad's aquariums. There was something, I don't know, something about that tank that um, that just did it for me. It was, it was something that was just remarkable, and I never got out of my system fully. Uh, there was something compelling about seeing this thick covering of plants that was somehow serene yet fascinating. And occasionally you'd see a few babies, you know, pointing, you know, popping out of the, uh, uh, of the cover. And there was something about that that was just so incredible. It was so exciting. And I think that never left me. I think that, you know, of all the guppy breeding books that I read when I was a kid, they were always talking about small tanks with dense growth of water sprite for the fry to, for the fish to give birth to, and later rearing the fry in there. And I love the idea of rearing fish fry in densely planted aquariums, tanks which looked good as well as provided some utility for spawning. To this day, water sprite is like my favorite aquarium plant, hands down. Yet, plastic breeding traps were becoming more and more prevalent with library enthusiasts, and I could see what was attractive about them from like a functionality standpoint. I mean, you could easily isolate and collect the fry, and you didn't have to keep them in the birthing tank for grow-out. It was about efficiency and about function. Very important if you're a serious breeder, you know, producing fish for show or commercial purposes and trying to avoid losses, you know, uh, to hungry mothers or whatever. But 
I suppose, uh, then again, it's just more of that utilitarian vibe that seemed to me to be so clinical, so sterile, so, I don't know, it just wasn't there, it wasn't me. And I get it. Perhaps I'm a bit romantic about this sort of stuff, doing things a more natural way. Yeah, it does feel right somehow to me. Fast forward a few years and I was playing with killifish and I was keeping fishes like Epiplates, which is my favorite genus of killies, and some fundal pangchacks, gardneri, and some assorted top spawning aphiosimian species. And I was really into breeding them. And yeah, I tried the spawning mop thing in the bear aquarium, which did work at getting a maximum egg count, facilitating easy egg removal, highly efficient, but it just seemed to lack, I don't know, soul maybe? Yeah, that was it. Soul, romance, allure, mystery. There was something oddly compelling, again, romantic even, about looking into a densely planted two and a half gallon tank and catching a glimpse of a few fry poking about. Occasionally, one would pop out that was already a nicely sized juvenile, which was a very pleasing, you know, pleasant byproduct of having a safe area to hunker down in as he or she grew. I've had this happen periodically, and even today it happens. It just happened a few months ago with some killifish, and it's always incredibly exciting when it does. It takes me back to those more simple, less precise days in my hobby experience. I fell back in love with the jungle concept when I spent some time admiring my friend Dave's densely planted live bear tank not too long ago, replete with tons of different types of plants and different fry of live bearers flitting in and out of the plants. There was no master plan here. Just give the fishes a great environment and food and let them do their thing. When I bred cribs when I was in my teens, I just had no desire to use the old clay flower pot or coconut shell for a cave. No, no, no. It felt better for me to supply a lot of cool rocks and let the fish do what they'd done for eons. Find a good spot in the rocks and occupy it as they saw fit. There was something more enjoyable to seeing them choose their spot as they do in the wild and clean it up. Again, much respect to the super breeders of fishes like discus and angels and just about everything who use spawning cones and you know mops and such in a sterile tank and they enjoy tremendous success. I know that these are touchy spawners, some of these fishes, and the efficiency and all that stuff is really important. But again, I guess I'd rather forgo some of the efficiency for a little bit of soul. Suppose that's why I'll probably never be a, you know, great and productive fish breeder. I mean, you're talking to a guy who hand selects every single botanical item that he ships to you guys. Inefficient by every business standard, but entirely satisfying by other standards. I guess it boils down to how we look at the stuff that we do as fish breeders. I mean, I have nothing but admiration for those of you who be tropical fishes. You inspire and motivate everyone. The problems you overcome and the procedures you create and the dedication uh, to the craft are amazing. And I suppose that for you guys, the uh, utilitarian practices and efficiencies and even, even breeding traps go with the territory to some extent. Yet I have a lot of trouble wrapping my head around the idea of a bear tank and a flower pot or whatever, you know, to spawn my fishes. And that's okay. For some reason, it's just not me. I guess it's just like the, I, I like the idea of giving the fishes the best environment on a daily basis. And if it happens, it happens. This idea of giving fishes the environmental conditions, which approach what they might typically encounter in their wild uh, habitats has always sort of intrigued me. And I guess I look at the spontaneous clutches of a pisto fry and tetras and other fishes that appear unexpectedly in our customers' botanical style aquariums. And I think to myself, well, they're not in a sterile breeding tank. Of course, that's what happens. I suppose it sounds a bit presumptuous, but isn't it logical to assume that if you provide fishes these kinds of conditions on a regular basis, that not only will they be healthy and more colorful, but that they'll be more likely to spawn at some point? I think so. I mean, it's not exactly a revelation, but it always makes me smile when I see how hard I've tried to deliberately breed 
a fish and have no success only to see a fish that I never intended to spawn do so without any special encouragement in a botanical style aquarium. It happens all the time. Pencil fish, resbora, stuff like that. Sure, some control might be seated by just keeping fishes you intend to spawn in an aesthetically more interesting, more natural setting. But is that always such a bad thing? I mean, suppose if your hobby is the actual spawning and rearing of fishes, you'll want to do everything in your power to control the situation and create the best possible outcome and provide a place to safely rear the fry, etc. I get it. For me, however, the trade-off is well worth it. I just can't get my head around that old breeding trap sort of concept for some reason, which of course is, again, is exactly why I'll never be a great fridge breeder. On the other hand, as an incidental breeder of, fris- of fishes, boy, I'm tongue twisting myself today. I can appreciate the hard work that the serious guys and girls do and the technique as much as I do the spontaneity and joy of finding my rams guarding a clutch of eggs in the biotope tank or discovering that uh, wild betas are spawning in the seed pods that I laid out for them. In the end, we all have our particular specialties. We all enjoy this amazing hobby how we want to. It's great to breed fishes, whether it's a sort of accidental because you've created a great habitat and encouraged it, or because you employed all sorts of procedure, technique, and gear, like a breeding trap, for example. For me, it's always been about providing conditions which approximate those that my fishes would encounter in their natural habitats on a 24-7, 365 basis, fostering their optimum health, and if something cool happens, like a spawning, well, that's just a bonus. What's your take on this stuff? I'm curious. Are you an opportunistic fish breeder like me who relies on nature to do a lot of the work? Or are you a hardcore dyed-in-the-wool fish breeder with lots of tanks and use your skill, technique, and specialized equipment to conduct controlled breeding? Have you ever crossed over and tried the other way? Curious. Till next time, keep doing what you do. Stay creative, stay dedicated, stay observant, stay bold, stay diligent, and always stay wet. I'm Scott Fellman, and thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tinny.